Welcome to episode 105 of Links to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, Mark has seen all the films. Our special guest this week, Jack, talks to us about Burnout Paradise. PlayStation VR is getting a huge price drop. We look at all the games that are being released next month for PS Plus in Games with Gold. And Microsoft are clamping down on all that offensive language. And finally this week, we hit to the mountains as we talk about the PlayStation 2 classic, SX3. Let's start the show. This is Link to the Cast. Uh, I am your party host this week and also your platforming prodigy, Mark Robinson. Uh, Dave Ryan is away on special assignment. So with me, I have, as always, when uh, the, the shoes need to be filled, we call the Roman Reigns of the podcasting world, Jack Lazell. Jack, how are you? Yeah, as always, I am the guy available on short notice who is willing to step in and, and do a job, basically. <laughs> that That's me. <clears throat> I still have a mild cough, but it's not as bad as it was. Uh, Jack. Oh, yeah, didn't you have like some sort of severe lung disease oh, last it, week? I, I mean, apparently I have asthma now. That's that's a thing that just I see it just switches on and off. Which, considering it's me, I don't actually I, I could hold stock in that theory. Um, but I'm feeling a bit. Mostly, I'm feeling okay now. But how are you? I, we haven't spoken in. Uh, ooh, a good while. Definitely since I've moved. I don't think I've actually spoken to you, kind of like over some sort of connection. Yeah, that's true. Probably the last time we spoke at length was when you came over to London to oh, see yeah. uh, early 2000s hardcore band Hellas for Heroes. That was a nice little nostalgic trip down memory lane nostalgia thing. I, I do agree, uh, sir. And it's funny because. I'm getting to the stage now. I, I saw Fright and Rabbit last week and they did a 10th anniversary playing through of the Midnight Organ fight. And it just seems that I'm getting to a dangerous level now of these, we're doing the 10th anniversary, mm. the 15th <laughs> anniversary. And I'm looking around at everyone else in the crowd and I'm like, man, all these uh, all these people in their early 30s are here. And then yeah. I look at myself and I'm like, oh. Yeah. Oh, no. the, the, the first one where that really became like, I'm not happy about this, was Silent Alarm. Um, because that's kind of the first album of the mid-2000s that I, I really kind of hold like memories for. Because I flew to New York on that day in 2005. Um, and so that was the first time that I was like, oh, I'm not, not, this is not a good not enjoying this and it's yeah it's only getting worse and worse and uh yeah it's not great it's not great yeah it was really depressing when like the first big gig i went to like in my sort of pre-teen years was going to see iron maiden with my dad and it was 20 years after their first album had been released (laughs) right and and to me that felt like a hundred years when i was like 12 i was like 20 years oh my god this is this music is so old and what made me think that was i was coming out of edgeware road station uh spoilers as to where i work and the monkey uh monkey wrench from the color and the shape by foo fighters came on and i'm like oh yeah this is a great and then i realized like oh shit 
Foo Fighters are doing shows at West Ham's ground later this year, and that album is 21 years old, so kids who were like my age back then are going to be like, oh, this is ancient history. And I remember those music videos looping around on MTV too. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, so what have you been up to over the last week or so? Uh, I have been watching a lot of films. I had some time off. I've been work. watching a lot of films as well. Oh, wow. We should potentially talk about some of the films. If only there was like a film <laughs> podcast. Uh, Let's do a mini was, popcorn social. That was available on this here podcast feed, the uh, link to the cast podcast network featuring me and Dave Ryan that you I could should go do an, listen to. You know how I, I do the introduction for the, the British Voices of Wrestling uh, podcast? Yeah. I should probably just fucking do one for the link to the cast now. This podcast is part of the Link to the Cast podcast network. So listen to this podcast, another great podcast, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, if you hadn't said blah, 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 you could have just clipped that out of this podcast <laughs> and just thrown it on the As with most podcast. things in life, I start with conviction and then just give up towards the end. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I'm not going to necessarily name all the films i've seen because I, I had some time off work and i have an unlimited card and the combination of those two things mark <laughs> is, is dangerous i remember i remember those times when the woman in starbucks at cineworld will start making oh you're a local your, there now yeah we'll, we'll start making your green tea latte before you <laughs> even like walk up to her and then she's like here you go jack and you're like <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> right, when you're on first name basis, that's... Okay, alright. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on first name basis with a dude in there who was, like, talking to me about Jim Lee's run on X-Men. Anyway, massively, massively off topic. Um, the film that I saw that I, I would probably say affected me the most is a film called The Square, which is about a guy who is the curator of, like, a Swedish conceptual art museum who's bringing in a new like exhibit called the square which is essentially you know in a massive sort of shot at the contemporary art world it's just a square that someone's made on the ground with like a light tube around it um but the, the idea is if you're in the square you're meant to you know help your fellow man kind of thing it's about like a, a creating a safe space i remember um, an episode of recess where there was a square and tj like loses his mind because he's in the square and he can't escape <laughs> it's a bit like cats. Have you ever seen those YouTube videos where someone will just draw a circle on the ground and a cat will go and stand in it? Yes. Whenever there's an open box, they'll just go and... Like, for some reason, cats just like to be enclosed in something. I, I've lived with a cat for the last two years. I still am no closer to understanding the way they work. <laughs> what is their motivation? Actually... What is the long-term strategy so of a cat? I, I won't talk too much about it, but I saw Inside Out for the first time at the weekend, and I don't know if you've seen it. Oh, I have. It. It's brilliant. And yeah. I, I immediately thought of you as I was watching it, because it was probably sort of around that mid-2000s period we were talking about earlier, where you introduced me to the comedian Lewis Black. Oh my god, Lewis Black. What a man. <laughs> Who, when I found out he was playing anger in this movie, <laughs> I was like, I don't care if I don't find out a single lick more of information about this, I am going to see it. Yeah. That is the most perfect casting. Did you remember, ever. like, the, the bit at the end where it's, like, showing you all the different people with, like, their inside-out people, and you have the bit with the cat? And, yeah. like... That actually, yeah, that explains why a cat is the way a cat is. Um, <laughs> anyway, continue talking about the square. Yeah, um, and it's just about the life of this art director and some just bizarre 
things happen to him in the space of like it's about shot over the course of a month and i don't know mark if you've ever seen like a film or a tv show that you kind of come out of and you think about it for say like a day or two i do Uh, actually i have one to talk about with you after i was saying to dave that i was thinking about what happened in the square and the attack on the fucking cortexes of my brain for like a good four or five days afterwards because there's like the centerpiece of the movie is a scene where you have like a a live art performance where there's like a big banquet dinner uh and guys dressed up in like tuxes women in nice dresses and they basically unleash a man who is behaving as if he's a primate with his shirt off into the room and it's like 10 12 minutes of the most bizarrely visceral shit i think i've ever seen committed to film i you just i can only recommend this film highly enough it's not the sort of film that i think i'm ever even going to watch again maybe one more time just to maybe if i'd show it to someone else but i i thoroughly recommend it i think it's probably out to see now but i went to see it uh, in central London because it was like a limited release in, in uh, Curzon Bloomsbury which is by the way the nicest cinema I've ever been to uh, but yeah just watch it mate it's, it's so weird but in a good way alright I can I can get on that uh, speaking of films that are kind of weird they're definitely a film that I I was thinking about the next day um, I saw Annihilation over the ah, weekend yes. A lot, a lot, a lot of comment on this on the internet at the moment. Yeah, so this um, was uh, directed by Alex Garland, who also directed Ex Machina. Uh, and also, I didn't realise, was a story supervisor for DMC Devil May Cry, uh, which took me by surprise. <laughs> That's uh, a very bizarre. Like, But at least that ties into the video game theme overarching this podcast, which has been about no video games so far. Yeah, um, which is also a game that I highly enjoy and will probably talk about as a book club feature at some point. Um, so I came into this like having seen a lot of talk about it on, on Twitter, uh, and it wasn't even a film I was intending to watch. It was just something that Laura's family put on over the weekend so I was like yeah sure alright whatever um, stars Natalie Portman uh, Oscar Isaac uh, Tessa Thompson who I really really like and uh, yes. based on a novel of the same name by uh, Jeff Vandermeer and uh, it's shot in not entirely in chronological order it does kind of go back and forth with its timeline not like majorly like uh, what the fuck's the uh, Nolan film that goes uh, Memento um, it's not like that, it, but it does jump around a little bit with the timeline. Uh, and so, uh, Natalie Portman, uh, her husband had been missing for a year. He comes back home. He then becomes violently ill. Um, they're away in an ambulance. Uh, they get pulled over by special forces and then they're taken to this, um, bunker effectively, this kind of army base, um, where in the background there's this kind of weird, mystical cloud um, that's covering a a portion of of the land uh, and is slowly kind of coming up further and basically everyone that's gone into that era uh, area hasn't come out other than Natalie Portman's uh, husband and so uh, a group of five women uh, decide to go they're like scientists uh, a biologist uh, a psychiatrist uh, paramedic 
Um, they go into it to try and kind of get to the, the beach house, which is where uh, like an asteroid uh, landed. And they just want to get to the kind of the, the center point to find out exactly what's going on. And so it's a film that is, and I really like these kinds of films that are based in science fiction, but at the core of them are actually talking about a kind of very human, a very kind of relatable uh, subject. And um, one of the, the themes here is this idea of kind of a, a person's, a person and, and people in general, like their kind of self-destructive, uh, the, the nature of their self-destruction um, the that can happen whether it's kind of by design or just just a part of their dna effectively um and as someone who has had self-destructive type tendencies in the past you know no I could, way i know right uh it was something that i could re- relate to um and you know each person has their own uh, thing um in the past that kind of tra- travels with them and is uh, like part of the reason why they've decided they want to do this um because in some ways it it looks like in a scene as like a suicide mission um but you know they will have the reasons for why they want to go in um and i think that like it's a really really kind of visually uh, appealing film uh, i think that um natalie portman is tremendous oscar isaac is obviously tremendous so you know i think everyone plays their parts really well um, I did think that the the last 10 minutes or so, and this is kind of like the, the film is all building up to the last sort of 10, 15 minutes. Um, it didn't quite strike with me as the way I think it's intended to, because I think that the, the kind of the, the model um, or the, the thing that's there, I don't want to really give spoilers away, looks a little bit goofier than I think it's intended to intended to um, basically it's a person that is dressed up in like a leotard uh, and it just I'm now picturing a mighty boosh like scenario I, I have to admit you know what it's not far removed from that kind of fucking visual effectively and like I, I, I got what was going on with that scene but it just it looked a little bit too goofy for me uh, compared to like everything else compared to like the fucking giant mutated bear that you saw about 15 minutes earlier which by the way that scene is some of the tensest fucking stuff i've seen in a film in some time um have you seen ex machina by the way i've not seen ex machina no uh, if you want tension jesus christ that film um but i you know i really liked it and you know i'd seen a lot online about people who are for and against it um but i don't know i enjoyed it could do without the stomach cutting though that was a bit that was a bit much what did you think well, of it? I haven't seen it. Oh, you haven't seen it? Oh, okay, fair enough. I haven't seen it. It is on my list of things to watch. Ever since Dave made me watch uh, Ex Machina for our aforementioned movie podcast a couple of months ago, uh, and I, I had a look at the upcoming projects for Alex Garland, I was like, right, well, I need to go and, and see that at some point. But yeah, I haven't. I've I've got like... I've got the video of Mark Kermode marked, like, talking about the film until after I've watched it. So, oh, uh, I should, I, that is actually one of my things I enjoy doing, is watching a film and then listening to Mark Kermode afterwards, or before, talking about it. 
Yeah, exactly. There's a few guys that I like on YouTube, and he, he's definitely one of them. But yeah, I, I haven't seen it yet. I look forward to seeing it from your description. I, I now sound like it sounds like I might chuckle a bit when a guy possibly or or girl or humanoid of some sort turns up in yeah. a weird time. Um, so I also saw Inside Out for the first time. I don't know how the hell I missed it. Um, but that's just oh man, what a great film. Yeah, I I think Inside Out the best part about it is what it would do for sort of the emotional education of kids. Yeah. Because I think a lot of um, Pixar's movies of late seem to deal with some sort of emotional complexities. Like Up, they basically just try and depress you into wanting to commit suicide (laughs) in the first 10 minutes and then give you a talking dog, which kind of cheers you up. Uh, to get through the rest of the movie and then toy story 3 is essentially a film about the aging process and sort of growing up and and moving on and and also kind of letting parts of your past go uh but which like there are parts of inside out that also have like elements of that um yeah exactly but but... i I thought the combination of, so the 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 idea of it is that you have all of those colored like colored spheres that represent different emotions for when you're a kid like happiness sadness anger etc etc uh, and I thought that possibly the best metaphor I've ever seen for sort of the emotional intelligence you gain when you go up or grow up was to see that by the end of the film as the the little girl kind of got to the stage where she'd started to enter sort of like a pre adolescent phase and you saw the swirls of the the two emotions combining and then like in the in the spheres that they had and it was just a really brilliant visual way of, of depicting how emotions can become more complex and complicated the more you understand about the world i just i i, I would this would be one of the first things I'd want to show any of my children if they were like, you know, get into that stage where they were like sort of nine, ten, and 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 things were starting to kind of click in their brain and it would develop in their personality. Yeah, and it's just it's it's such a beautiful thing. And a lot of the the latter day Pixar films, there's a lot of oh, there are bits of the film that are for adults, there are bits of the film that are for kids. But I feel like Inside Out is two entirely films, whether you're watching it as an adult or a kid. Um, I just there, there's so much going on like you've mentioned there that just I don't think kids under the age of like eight will really just get at all so they'll enjoy it for just what it is visually and then obviously for the older people you know there, there's so much to grab onto there um, I just I just really enjoyed the character of sadness uh, just <laughs> oh yeah she's fantastic um, she, I think the character designs as well i have to say like lewis black's like anger character with like the exploding head and stuff but sadness with like the sort of pinned up in a bun black hair and the like the big big glasses that amplify small eyes she basically looks like a sort of over exaggerated millhouse (laughs) (laughs) from the simpsons just her line of i'm too sad to walk and they're just flopping over i yeah Yeah. (laughs) Uh, i mean she is all of us at some what. Speaking of other films that speak to me. And then lastly, I I saw Prisoners, which is a film with Jake Gyllenhaal and Hugh Jackman. And I won't speak too much about this, other than it's a really good film, other than the plot twist at the end 
it's so like I saw that coming from about I don't know 20 minutes into the film uh, and that kind of ruined it for me but other than that that was really good and I enjoyed the kind of questioning of morality uh, that was good stuff so yeah all the films I watched You've been watching quite a few films, yeah? Not not getting outside and watching them, but sort of just watching them in the comfort of your own home. I don't really have the money to, to go to the cinema, but I will be going to the goddamn cinema to see Isle of Dogs next weekend. Uh, I will also be doing that, and I will probably be talking about it with Dave Ryan at some point next week on our podcast, which is now introed by Mark, apparently. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Let's talk about what we have been playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Oh, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Jack, start me off. Talk to me about the remastering, the rebastard bastarding mastering of Burnout Paradise. <laughs> rebastering. Fantastic. Yeah, so uh, Burnout Paradise is just oodles of, of, of joy. Like it kind of always was, but it now just looks incredibly pretty. And it, it there's something for a game and a feel and a period in your life and you know playing this kind of took me back to when i when i first started playing it many many moons ago uh in like the late 2000s but yeah just like downloading it and then clicking into the menu and then just hearing the the sort of opening refrains of paradise city and it it's just like all the nostalgia waves coming back but then i actually got into playing the game and I remembered that it is also a very fun game to play as well. So it's not just the fact that it's it's, it's kind of time in my life that makes me happy. It's it's, the, it's a very good game as well. It chucks you straight into the action. You're in a, a basic giant open world, um, like in a paradise city. And they, they, I think they spend about a minute and a half going, here's the docks, here's the baseball stadium, here's the wind farm, here's this, here's that, here's your car. If you want to change your car, go to one of these junk places. If you want to do a race or an event, just pull up to any traffic lights and go. And then by that point, it's into the, the riff and your Axel Rose happening all over your face. And you're like, oh, well, I best drive around and see what happens then. And yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a lot of fun, isn't it? Burnout Paradise, Mark. Have you um, re-dabbled in it since it's been re-released, or do you have any fond memories of playing it the first time around? See, now, I actually bounced off of Burnout Paradise the first time around. Um, there was something about, from what I remember, because um, it's been a while since I played it, but I, I remember the concept of doing um, a mission or failing a mission uh, and then having to go all the way back to the starting point uh, just it pissed me off um, I like the idea that um, it was not as, as immediate as I remember because I went back last year and I was playing um, Burnout Takedown uh, and the, the loading times are actually a lot longer than I remember for some reason when you're younger loading times don't seem to be a thing at all but we are blessed in this day and age of not really dealing with loading times. So you go back to the PS2 and it's a fucking horror show. Um, but I remember just like, you know, I'd fail a mission and it's like, okay, I'll start again. 
Uh, and that wasn't the case, as far as I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's not the case here, uh, unless they, like, added a mechanic. Um, you can restart missions, yeah. You can just restart missions on the fly now. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's good. Whether, so if the mission ends, you can restart it while you're in the mission, but if the mission ends, you can. Basically, whether you've got a, an Xbox One or a PlayStation, you just press right on your D-pad and then go down to restart event or restart current event. Ah, you know, you what? possibly that was there in the first place, but I remember. But I don't, it might have been... <laughs> Didn't think to Google that one, though. Yeah, well, you know. Um, it might also have just been that I may have been but um, a bit burnt out by the oh, last two there um, he is so yeah so i just i don't know i didn't stick around with it for too long i imagine that it's been a long time since i played burnout that if i was to jump back in at this point i'd probably have a good old time with it um and considering that the uh the last uh game by the the you know original makers of burnout uh what the hell was it called action zone criterion no, not Criterion, but the game that actually uh, made recently, um, Danger Zone, uh, wasn't that Danger great? Danger Zone. Yeah, um, it's, it's it's probably sank that at some point I'd uh, I'd get my hands on. I how much how much was it? Uh, it's thirty of your English pounds, but I think you can already find it around the twenty five pounds. Pretty mark. sure you could, and that's a pretty good deal for uh, a game of you know Burnout Paradise is of sizable content. Um, but there, I, there's I, a lot to do. I take it you get your two thumbs up. Uh, it gets one and a half thumbs up. Um, not that I want to lose half of my thumb, but imagine I'm sort of pointing my thumb like in the middle. So, <laughs> so there's one like hooked over and one up. The reason is, and I'm sure it's been covered extensively, there are two major things that uh, irritate me, and they're probably the same two things that irritate everybody else. Uh, so apologies if you've already heard them elsewhere. No doubt you have, but number one, when you're in a race, it doesn't give you waypoints. I mean, some races do, so like the DLC content that's added, basically when you buy the game, all that DLC content from the original Burnout Paradise is on the disc. So if you go to like the uh, motorbike races and uh, the races on the the island that they've added onto to Paradise City, it will give you waypoints in the race. But the majority of the races in game don't. So you're kind of constantly looking at your mini map uh, and trying to figure out right which is the turning that I need to take to get it and then so you pause your game and you go into the map and you're like right i need to go down there down there down there to get to the checkered flag on your map and then you're like right so that's the road so then you're using your mini map again which means you're not looking at the screen which means what you do is you flick a tiny like little bit of a barrier and then you fly into the air and your car becomes a twisted metal salad of death uh at which point like half the field of the race zoom past you and you've got nothing to do but curse uh and i kind of feel like that takes me out of the races just a little bit because it will take you a fair old while to learn the city because a the city is very big uh but b you're much more detached from what you're actually driving around because you are constantly looking at your map or looking at the the compass at the top so you're not taking it in i always thought grand theft auto did an amazing job of making you learn a city by putting missions in different parts of the sandbox environment and then you can go 
to, to different areas slowly as you're unlocking part of the game even when you start off and you've got access to a whole city i, I thought that always did that well and, and the point here is that it takes a lot longer to to get your brain around which way to go and which way to get there fastest etc etc uh and number two is just the fact that you can't fast travel anywhere so if you're looking around the map and you're like right i need two more events to get my you know burnout license or my class a license or whatever you just like oh right so where's the next mission you press pause and you're like oh i want to do a, a takedown mission which you're always the, the most fun things to do in burnout anyway crashing cars into railings at 100 mile an hour while avril levine's girlfriend blares out why not uh and you're like oh okay it's halfway across the map and then you spend all that time driving and then while you're doing it a car will whiz past you because if you want to win cars like new cars in this mark like every time you complete a mission they'll put like a new car into the city that will just whiz round, and you have to take it down to to win it to earn it and then you get distracted and then you see another event here that you want to do and then like an hour goes by and you haven't even driven over to the part of the map with the event that you wanted to do in the first place so yeah those are the two major gripes but everything else is is fun as all hell and i hope it does really well because i hope they then consider remastering the single greatest burnout game of all time which is burnout three takedown so yeah. See, now you've said those two things they've immediately come back to my mind of issues i had with the original um yeah and will probably more to my point about what i was trying to say in the first place so thank you for bringing those to light um what does it other than the the open world mechanic like is there anything else that's new to burnout paradise that isn't there before in takedown Okay, so the crash mode is a variation on a theme because instead of going to a location and aiming your car into a sort of busy freeway or whatever, you can pretty much start the crash mode wherever you like just by pressing L1 and R1 down. And then you use boost to smash into as many cars as possible. And like when you get to 10, 20, etc., your your boost will refill hit buses you get a multiplier for for points and stuff so that's kind of a variation on a theme you get burning routes which is you have to go into a specific car and then you have a, a time that you need to be in that car which isn't necessarily in the other game but i don't think there's anything particularly new the stunt it's it's i, I mean I, I brought up grand theft auto earlier there's a kind of um collectibles thing where you have to smash through all these gates um to get to shortcuts in the city there's mega jumps or stunt jumps or or whatever the opposite of what they're called in grand theft auto is is what they're called in burnout um so that's cool those are kind of drawn into the open nature open world nature of it all and you know what it's just fun to just drive around and smash into stuff and like drive down roads every road has got a time record on it as well so you connect to the internet and you can see what the fastest time on that road is to go down it as quick as possible that's pretty cool uh you can play online there's quite a few 
like new online modes like cops and robbers and like takedown teams and stuff like that so if that's kind of your bag i mean i don't know how long people are going to be playing the game so i think if you want to buy it to play it online you probably and and if you're the sort of trophy hunting type character i think get it as soon as possible because there's like there's a trophy in it where you have to get eight people in the same place at the same time and i hate it when they do that on games because it just makes it impossible for anyone to actually achieve uh but yeah yeah. there's not an awful lot of new stuff to the to the series formula but what is in there is the tried and tested stuff is great uh the little bits and pieces that are new are also pretty cool to get your head around and it's just an awful lot of fun with a few subtle flaws cool um i have been playing uh, a little indie game called faith or feth (laughs) it's just fe which is has it got anything to do with iron uh no it doesn't okay because i saw that and i'm like that i'm pretty sure is the chemical symbol for iron yeah uh according to wikipedia it's pronounced fear uh so whatever uh it's an action adventure game uh by a, a company called zoink and interestingly enough it's published by ea uh, under their originals program, which they announced a little while ago, um, which is their attempt to try and kind of push uh, indie uh, developers, um, which is a novel concept. And uh, considering EA over the past six months or so haven't been in the best of lights, um, you know, this is at least something some uh, some way to try and kind of put themselves back uh, with a positive spin um it's it's an interesting game i've only played it for a few hours i have it on switch uh, it's available on windows ps4 xbox one and on switch uh you play this small fox like creature that kind of looks a little bit like stitch from lilo and stitch which gives, oh, nice. gives gives him a bit of a, an endearing charm there's um, not enough foxes in video games this is true i do agree uh, looking for that fantastic Mr. Fox video game. Oh, there must have Do been one. Do you know what? That would be... I think that would be really cool. Because I always thought, like, the the bit in Fantastic Mr. Fox where he goes on the heist on all the farmers' farms to gather all the food for the feast, like, that to me was, like, a really good heist, like, introduction to, like... Because I, I don't know. I've got, like, a weakness, Mark, where I love a heist movie. Yeah. I, I, and <laughs> even shit ones... Like there's a film called The Bank Job with Jason Statham in it, and I know objectively it's terrible, but I still really enjoy it. But it does also uh, have Jason Statham, so that kind of balances it out. It does, and he is a unit, etc., etc. But I would love a Fantastic Mr. Fox game where you had to go around like basically swiping shit. Say like you've built like you've had your big feast because you could have it as like a sequel to the book, right? You've built your big, you've had your big feast, and like he wake up kind of like conquers bad fur day, and but instead of being drunk and hungover, we're like, right, oh that was great. But he'll look around, and he's like, his place is a mess because he's had all the other foxes and other animals over or whatever, and he's like, right, I need to rebuild my house here. So what I'm gonna do is, and and then you go to different areas, and he's like rebuilding his his fox mansion and going on heists and different place and collectors I, that that sounds really cool to me but it's never gonna happen in a million years <laughs> anyway um <laughs> hey, you just what don't just move on like that no, it's, a, it's a beautiful tangent it's a beautiful tangent <laughs> 
I want to know what your thoughts on my fantastic Mr. Fox pictures. Uh, it's it's fantastic. I see. If you were an executive, are you just walking out of the elevator with uh, with an exasperated expression on your face right now? No, I just I thought I'd um quote the, the I was going to say the bad Fantastic Four film, but that's not really. Um, <laughs> yeah, which which bad yeah. Fantastic Four film, buddy? The really really bad one. Okay, yeah, that did suck. Yeah. Anyway, um, so it's set in a kind of very dark, eerie forest, and it's one of those games that doesn't give you a whole lot of direction on where to go, and more importantly, what to do. So you you are kind of left to your own devices. Uh, you can press the right shoulder trigger, and that brings up a map. But again, it doesn't exactly give you anything in the way of like directions or objectives or anything of that nature. It's very kind of clean, very minimalist. And, you know, I do appreciate uh, games that go for that approach. Um, after a short amount of time, um, the game introduces you to one of the key mechanics of the game, which is that when you come to another animal, animal in the forest, if you press the ZR trigger, um, you can, if you tap it, you can kind of let out a small uh, cry. Um, if you continue to hold down the button, you are singing. And if you are near a, an animal that kind of connects with you, you can link up effectively. And if you hold the controller um, in the right position, um, it will start to sync. You will start to sync up with this other animal. And depending on the animal, um, they'll have a, a unique uh, gimmick to them that you can use for your own means. So there's a, a deer or an antelope that um, that will follow you along. And when you come to these t um, this different this type of flower uh, that opens up and becomes a platform, so you can get to progress to the next part. Uh, there are these hummingbirds that um, will kind of vaguely point you in the direction of where you need to go. There are these beavers that I haven't figured out exactly what the the, the purpose of them is yet. Just uh, to be fucking smooth as yeah, fuck. Who yeah. doesn't who doesn't love a beaver, right? Fair. Um, the only obstacle um, or enemy that I've come across are these. If you ever think of uh, anything by Team Ico, um, like either Ico or The Last Guardian, is probably the two kind of in, in question. There are these. Uh, black humanoid type uh, shifty looking creatures that have basically a, a face that is a, a light uh, that projects out and they can also crawl on all fours as well quite creepy um do you remember did you ever see how's moving castle uh, I was going to compare them to... It sounds like you're describing No-Face, essentially. It's it kind of like No-Face, but kind of more like... Do you remember the things that are carrying the, the Wicked what, Witch of the West in Howl's Moving Castle? Um, yeah. And that can crawl along. A little bit like them. But they have a light that produce produce from the face as well. Um, if they... So I haven't figured out what they do yet if they actually catch you. But what they can do is... If they come across another animal, um, they will basically um, entrap the animal in this kind of dark energy shield, um, and they're trapped. Um, what you can do is, if you there's a, another type of I can't remember if it's the hummingbird or it's another bird, but if you sync up with them and they follow you along, there are these small green flowers 
that once the bird is near it, it can open up and it has a small green ball of energy, which you can then throw at the dark ball of energy and then that breaks it and the animal is free. So, you know, you're going around and you're, you're freeing the, the animals because, you know, we've been doing this for 25 years with Sonic, might as well do it in another game as well. Um, after that, so I've only done a few, there's only been a few kind of bits where that's been a thing that's happened. Um, everything is like in game in terms of the quote unquote cutscenes because there aren't really any, um, and there's no you know narrative to drive the objective along. So you're kind of just trying to you're just kind of stumbling along uh, in this open forest, and it's so that is very kind of like is um journey kind of kind of it's yeah it, it definitely has that uh whimsical feel about it like it's very um low poly uh, a lot of low poly models but they're all uh you know scrubbed to a high sheen uh you know it's, it's it looks very pretty um but it's kind of very basic in its geometry but kind of built in a way that it still looks like a forest um and it also feels quite claustrophobic even though it is uh, you know there are kind of wide open expansive spaces um it does have a really nice feel to it it does look nice um, and I like the the world that is there. Um, I haven't spent enough time with it to really got, kind of get a good vibe on how I feel about it. Um, the camera is not great. Uh, it's you're constantly trying to shift it to get it into a position. Like I really wish games that like third person games will just keep the camera locked at the right angle where you can see enough of the world around you and all you ever need to do is just swap left and right. But any game where you're having to constantly look up and down as well, uh, it just, you're spending more time fighting the camera than you are just adjusting it slightly. Yeah, Burnout um, Paradise, funnily enough, uh, is a little bit like that. Yeah, I and- always w- wanted games to be able to set the tilt of the camera like where you want it on the axis like you could go to the settings and just be like right where do you want the character position do you want it like flatter to the ground or do you want it like higher up so you've got more of a a perspective view of the world i think i think that would be really cool i don't know how difficult that is to make that happen though uh yeah i know right Uh, because i also noticed this recently with um oh dropped my phone uh with um akami as well which was uh, yeah, uh, like the HD version as well. Just the camera is a fucking nightmare in that game, and I hope that they fix it for the Switch release, but I doubt they will. But it's you know it's really cool. It's not like I don't think by the end of it it'll be a thing like um, you know I don't think it'll be something I'll be talking about on on the end of year show. Um, but I like it for what it is. I like that it exists within the EA Origins program, um, and it was only like twelve, thirteen quid on the Switch. Which is a which is you know a reasonable price for what that game is. So uh, yeah, you know, go and have a look at it. Does that uh, give EA back a bit more of a fluffy, happy, we're a dream making factory exterior <laughs> than that game? Uh, no, um, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll see what what the fuck is the the open world game they've got coming out, um, which got delayed by like a year. Oh god. It escapes me. But considering EA, um, sorry, uh, UFC three came out with as many bullshit loot boxes, uh, I yeah, I'm not, I'm not completely sold on the idea that EA have. Uh, well, they're re- out of the 
out of the games business and into the live service business now, aren't they, Mark? So Wow. I'm not gonna go I'm not gonna go that far just yet, but they're They've had a rough six months. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll go that far. And they're really yeah. they're really big fans of, you know, buying studios and then closing them, which is a thing yeah. they need to not do much of. But I mean, considering we're gonna be talking about SSX three later, um you know, can't say too yeah. much. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that is it for what we have been playing this week. So now we will move on to the news. News on the mark. First up, PlayStation VR is getting a massive price drop. Uh, this uh, dropped today in the news. Uh, the PlayStation VR starter pack in Europe, uh, it's going down um, from 349 British pounds to 259, which is 299, sorry, 299 euros from 399 euros. Uh, this goes live tomorrow morning, so by the time this podcast drops, it already would have gone through. Damn, uh, how pissed would you be if you bought one, like on Saturday or Sunday or something? Yeah, well, hey, look, that's just that's how life is, you know? I mean, I suppose you could probably, like, take it back for a refund, I'd imagine, as long as it's still working, I presume. Like, was it 30 days refund guarantee? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. So um, if you bought one 31 days ago, oh, that's yeah, the person yeah. that's really Well, I mean, yeah. you know, that person does exist. Um, the VR PlayStation VR starter pack comes with a headset, PlayStation camera, and a download code for PlayStation VR Worlds. Uh, all PSVR owners get the Playroom VR for free. Um, there's a couple of interesting games that are out, like Resident Evil 7 is apparently really good with PSVR. Uh, yeah, why would you want to do that to yourself? Well, though? I know, right? Um, Wipeout Omega is now has now Ooh. got PSVR, which is like the one game where I'm like, oh, yeah. I kind of want to play that. Now uh, you're speaking my language, friend. Yeah. Uh, any interest at all in VR? I still don't. Um, this is still not a price that I want to pay for VR. Um, I don't have that kind of money, and there's just not enough out there for me. There's not enough content that makes it a viable option. But like, do you have any interest at all? Um, I, I kind of swing back and forth on being a, an early adopter of technology. Sometimes I'll buy into something like I bought an Apple Watch straight away and I still love it. I, st- I you know, I still think that's a really cool thing. But stuff like this, uh, it's just such a heavy investment up front. And I, I'd have to really be certain that this was going to be the quote unquote future of gaming because you know about a decade ago when the wii was in its absolute pomp everybody started shifting towards uh, motion controls and that was going to be the future of gaming you know no, no one was going to be sat around on their ass with a joypad anymore mark everybody was going to be moving around and doing kinds of crazy shit so i don't know if this is like a force kind of dawn of of a new technology that's not really going to go anywhere is this going to be 3d tv or is this going to be 4k tv i i don't know which one of the two it's going to end up being personally i think if it had more games in it that interested me if the uh means of playing it were were quite easy to adapt to then maybe it's something i would do but I don't know if the gamer market, Mark, are too kind of 
set in their ways as to how they're used to interacting with and playing games that they'd actually want to do uh, the whole virtual reality thing. I think we might get there eventually, but it, it might take a little bit longer than than perhaps people are, are willing to jump on straight away. Well, I mean, you look at, as mentioned, the Nintendo Wii obviously was a, an entirely new way of playing video games and sold massively. Um, virtual reality in the, the video gaming landscape, you know, developers have been dabbling <laughs> with that technology for like fucking 30 odd years now. Is um, it hard to um, not bring up the, the fantastic success of the Nintendo Virtual Boy? Yeah, well, I know, right. Uh, that, that's really pushing it when we talk about virtual reality. Um, but, you know, there, there have been uh, peripherals and, and, and hardware that has, have existed for, you know, going back into the 80s, which is mad when you think about what virtual reality is. Um, and they've all been varying degrees of a failure. Now, now it's not not to say that the Oculus Rift is, but I mean that has its own fair share of issues from just from a PR perspective. Um, there's the fuck. What's the other one? What's the, there's like three big ones, and I can never remember what the the one in the middle is. Um, but then you have you know PlayStation VR as well. And the thing about the VR, the PlayStation VR, that makes it the most access, accessible is that it's just it's just this thing that you have with your PS for uh, your PS4. And there are games that are working it, and that's it. Like if you have the Oculus Rift, getting that connected to like Steam and getting that all kind of figured out with what games work, what games don't, um, getting all the settings in place. Uh, unless you're into that kind of thing, um, which I vaguely am, but I don't have the patience for it. I I don't like it, and that's always been the thing. Obviously, with consoles, is there's no like. You know, getting the game on the right settings on PC to make sure it works fine. And, oh, wait, this Windows update has come along, which has broken half of my uh, CPU and graphics card or whatever. Just, there's none of that with the console market. And that's what makes PlayStation VR the most, for me, you know, kind of accessible, convenient place for virtual reality. There's just not enough games for it. And that's been the big sticker for since its inception, and I still think to now, um, is that there's A, not enough games, and there's B, not, not, not enough you know, interesting or good games. And so for me, it's still just like, if you think back to the the Mega Drive with the 32X and the Sega CD, it's just, it's just, it's a hardware peripheral that just doesn't need to exist and doesn't justify its existence because of the lack of games and the lack of good games. And I still kind of see it like that. Yeah, uh, that pretty much sums up how I feel as well, really. I don't, want to kind of seem like that guy who's just going to rule something out though and, until I've kind of really experienced it going forward and I think this price drop is is a positive step in in the next direction no but and I, I don't... It, it needs it does it needs a genre of defining game it needs a console killer that, that killer app. yeah um yeah and I, I certainly don't kind of rule it out because I do think that um uh, with the right game um, virtual reality can obviously add a whole nother dimension of experience uh, to a game. You know, like Resident Evil 7, I know that playing that in virtual reality is, is a whole nother beast. Um, a beast that I want no fucking part of. And I'd like to think, well, I say that with Wipeout Omega, I'd want to be actually sitting in some sort of kind of pod that actually shakes left and right when I'm flying around. Um, but that's, you know... That's a whole nother 
uh, 10 grand that would need to be spent. Moving on, April's PlayStation Plus uh, games have been announced and we have Mad Max and Trackmania Turbo. So Mad Max was released on the PS4 back in 2015, uh, not long after George Miller's Fury Road movie, though the two are not uh, in any way uh, connected. Um, Dave has described this as like the most 7 out of 10 game he's ever played, and like the best <laughs> 7 out of 10 game he's ever played. Um, so, you know, kind of like a little bit of Assassin's Creed, but obviously a lot more post-apocalyptic and with driving. Uh, yeah, Dave enjoyed it. Um, I've heard a lot of people say they enjoy it, but it is a bit... It's very 7 out of 10-ish. Uh, and then Trackmania Turbo, which I've only ever seen from the outside looking in. Um, but apparently just, you know, the people that are into Trackmania are fucking well in. Um, and that has PSVR support as well, which is cool. Nice. Coinciding with the price drop might hook a few extra people yeah. in. Uh, Who you... knows? Did you ever see anything of the Mad Max game? Because uh, I know that you... I'm pretty sure you saw the film and were a fan of it, like I was. Yes, and I did very much enjoy the film. The game I didn't play personally. I, I saw a couple of bits and pieces around it coming out. It looked interesting, but it wasn't something I was willing to invest any money in. Like, I, I think a game that kind of comes out of the blue... Uh, for me, like that Mad Max game would have done, would have to get glowing reviews if I was going to drop my my 40 quid on it, uh, and it just sort of passed me by, really. But now it's obviously free as a part of my uh, PlayStation. I might download it and, and have a look into it and, and see what it's about. But yeah, I, I've never played it, so I can't offer an opinion, or on Trackmania, unfortunately. But I am a sucker for a racing game. I think even in their most kind of puerile and basic form, anybody can enjoy a racing game. So that might be a good one to have a look at. But not playing online after what you just said about people being crazy into it, because I'm sure I'll be immediately destroyed. <laughs> um, also, we had announced uh, Xbox Live games with gold for April, which include... The Witness, which I lost my mind over, uh, Assassin's Creed Syndicate, uh, Cars, and Dead Space 2, uh, with those two being wow. backwards compatible. So, um, The Witness is a really... Uh, I do like The Witness. I really like what that game is. Um, but my god, it, you can only play that game for about an hour at a time, certainly as you get further into it, because... It's, uh, <laughs> it tests your patience somewhat serious. Um, and apparently Assassin's Creed Syndicate was, was okay. Uh, I, I haven't really, I don't really dabble with Assassin's Creed unless it has pirates. Um, although I heard Origins <laughs> was pretty good. So. <laughs> Is that your rule in life? I don't really dabble in this unless there's pirates. I think that's a fair rule to work by. I ain't gonna complain. Uh, did you touch the witness as well? Because I know that you were very much. <laughs> I have never touched the witness, Mark. I've repeated that over and over again. Did you play I've the witness at all? Because I know you were aware that me and Dave were playing it. Um, so I don't know if that in any way influenced you to look at it. I did not play it. I watched some of your your videos on your and your erstwhile YouTube channel, which kind of sadly seems defunct now. Um, but I, I didn't play it, so yeah, I, I don't really have that much of an opinion on it. Assassin's Creed, I think even the kind of most, like, 
averagey Assassin's Creed games are still kind of fun to play. So I'd definitely say that if I was uh, looking at a subscription and I had an Xbox and a PS4 and I didn't have a live subscription, I think uh, April's Xbox offering would probably hook me in a little bit more because Dead Space as well is a, a Dead Space 2 rather is a, is a pretty intriguing game as well. Not going to touch Cars 2 as much as I admire Eddie Izzard and I hope that he voiced <laughs> it reprised his role from the film of Cars I 2. I would imagine he didn't. Yeah, you say you didn't. Oh, well, that, I would that's, an all so. out, that's an all out miss and a steer in the opposite direction for me, pun intended. Uh, sea of Thieves is Microsoft's fastest selling. Speaking of pirates. <laughs> is Microsoft's fastest selling new IP of the Xbox One generation. Uh, Rare's jolly old pirate game Sea of Thieves has become Microsoft's fastest selling new IP of the Xbox One generation and is already the best selling Microsoft Studios game on Windows 10. More than a million people played on launch day and more than 2 million in launch week. I mean, this doesn't surprise me because Xbox One players kind of need something new to play. Sick burn. Yep. Uh, there's a bit conf- a bit of confusion surrounding the wording on Xbox Newswire, where Sea of Thieves is labelled the fastest-selling first-party new IP of this generation. This suggests that Sea of Thieves holds the title across all platforms, which in turn it means it outsold Sony's best-selling first-party new IP, Horizon Zero Dawn, which has done incredibly uh, well. Uh, probably didn't know. Uh, so yeah, I've heard a lot of good about Sea of Thieves. Um, I obviously don't have an Xbox One. Um, but I know that, so we have an Xbox One in the office. Um, I don't know actually if we have it on here, um, but I know a few people uh, have, have purchased it on, on Windows and Xbox One. And yeah, I've heard good things. And you know, it's rare. So that comes with like a, an automatic seal of quality. Yeah. Um, to me, the story is the reemergence of the once mighty rare here because uh, they kind of were done with games weren't they like they they did a bunch of stuff for the connect oh god that, yeah that no one really gave that much of a shit about and you know the last kind of serious game series i remember them dabbling with was um was viva pinata uh and yeah that must have been like maybe 10 maybe even 15 years ago as well actually so. speaking of things that make me feel old yeah because see uh viva pinata would have been like 2006 so <laughs> Yeah. Oh boy, yeah. Um. So since then, I I I don't think they've made a game for a while now. I just kind of assumed that they they were gone like that. But it's amazing to see them come back because there aren't many British uh, game studios that have the level of heritage that Rare has, and you know, arguably one of the most influential games of all time, GoldenEye, was created by Rare. And arguably, and and this is a genre that doesn't often get covered many places, really. But the, one of the best comedy games of all time in the Conker's Bad Fur Day, indeed. Which me and Dave did a book club on, which you guys can go back to and listen in the Link to the Cast archives as well. Just promoting all of the stuff <laughs> that I was on, um, you guys. I'm afraid. But one of the common uh, points of complaint is that there's just not enough, not enough content, which is kind of a common theme with a lot of those. Um, open shared world action adventure games like Destiny is the obvious example. Yeah. Um, and I would like to think that with Sea of Thieves selling as well as it has, that will give Microsoft the uh, the drive to just kind of go with Rare and say just 
look, just keep making content, keep this thing going, basically. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's going to put them in a good position. And with this news coming out that, you know, Rare will be given the green light to just, just fucking keep plugging away at this thing. Now, hear me out, Mark. I've got an idea to keep this game afloat, pun intended. What we need is a pirate ship battle royale. Giant, <laughs> giant sea area. Everyone's got their little teams on their pirate ships because it's a collaborative affair, and you got you got to be the winner winner pirate dinner here and uh, and be the last one standing. How do you feel about that? Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, we we've spoken um, at length about Fortnite and Player Unknown on this show, and uh, yeah, I <laughs> they they be making money, my friend. They be making all the money. Um, yeah. Yes. How long until we get the mobile version of Sea of Thieves as well? Yeah. Uh, idea number two, probably not as big of a money sip binner, but uh, Captain Pugwash DLC is, <laughs> is what I would suggest for that. And see if they can pull that one off. Uh, Captain Pugwash, um, what else would there be? Uh, some sort of wow. Monkey Island tie-in. Yeah, exactly. But you think about it, there's not an awful lot of pirate-themed video games. If you kind of remove the IP of Pirates of the Caribbean and the, the probably shamefully bad games that have been made for that, and that Assassin's Creed that had them pirates in it that time, not an awful lot of pirate games, are there? trying to think no you you're not wrong there actually yeah so it's kind of an untapped area really um which is interesting because to get a little bit of a not necessarily original uh area of of games that no one's really dabbled in before but an area definitely an undermined uh, area of of potential for creative and video games so yeah rare certainly have it to themselves at the moment yeah uh, aside from the constant mentions of, of pirates in um, <laughs> in Life is Strange as well, so yeah, ah, true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in Life is Strange episode two, if uh, if if Max is is still alive and kicking, uh, it'd be interesting to see if if Chloe is playing Sea of Thieves. That's all I'm going to say on that subject. Uh, time for a tie-in to um, our other podcast here on the Link to the Cast uh, Network. Um, although with slightly sadder news, uh, late Fiorentina captain David Astori to remain in FIFA 18, EA confirms. Um, so obviously not too long ago, uh, the Fiorentina captain uh, passed away um, due to it was cardiac arrest, I believe. Uh, he yeah. was 31 years old. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah, EA basically confirmed that he will remain in the game, but he has been pulled from the ultimate team packs. Because as in life, you know, where there is opportunity to make money off of the death of others, people will do this. Um, but yeah, basically the maximum price range of David Story on uh, the Ultimate Team items uh, just had gone through the roof. And so EA had reduced the maximum price range to, to combat that as well, because fuck those scumbags. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the one I, I was really against um, maximum and minimum price ranges in, in Ultimate Team as a concept, but in this specific instance, I'm glad it exists. Yeah, I can't think of, uh, of like many examples of um, sports games in general, because obviously, you know, sports games are at the point now where the, the, the rosters, effectively, if you want to say that, 
uh, you know, updated constantly with stat changes and whatnot. But I can't think of many examples where a, 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 a current player has passed away um, and then they've been removed. Um, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I wonder how Football Manager has dealt with this as well. That's a good question, actually. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what the right thing to do is. I, I mean, you have to kind of preserve the person in the game. Like, I remember when I bought WWF Attitude for the for the PlayStation, and I know Owen Hart was uh, was included on the roster, and, and that, that was, was true because yeah, because they had that in his memory. I remember that at the start, yeah. and that was it before was a... I knew who Owen Hart was. So I was like, what the fuck, what? Yeah, who's this? Who's this guy? Kind of what happened here? And yeah, yeah before you really knew the whole story of it. So yeah, there's there's probably a few uh, little little twists and turns throughout the whimsical world of video games where that's happened. But it's only right to to leave him in as a character, uh, as a player, as a player, even uh, as a card, even in in, in Ultimate Team. But he's not appearing anymore, is he? In packs. So if you if you're opening Ultimate Team packs, you're not getting any more David stories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which means that they'll probably all be incredibly like looked after now at this point if anyone does have that card. So yeah, um, it's difficult to know what to do in a situation like this, but uh, it's a shame the whole situation. Uh, he was a very well liked man and a very well kind of travelled footballer in Italy. So yeah, the whole situation is sad, and yeah, it, I'd imagine it just creates an awkward atmosphere for a video game company like what's the right thing to do and i think largely ea have got it right here which is a sentence that we don't often probably say that much (laughs) but yes fair play to ea this was probably uh the best approach so but i imagine they must have some kind of somewhere in their game design document they have okay in uh, scenario where player dies what do we do you know i'd imagine they they have that all in kind of line with what they would do anyway so yeah i'm sure they haven't overlooked that yeah potentially like um you know the brazilian team chapacuense oh the the airplane crash yeah yeah went down a few years ago i I wonder what they did in that situation because i mean obviously that's like kind of the last thing you expect to be seeing in the news about in such a horrible tragedy. Do they have the Brazilian club football teams? I'd imagine they have like Santos, like as a rest of the world type team. Yeah. uh, I don't know if they would have had Chapa though. So it depends. But yeah, in in a situation like that, I do wonder if they have a contingency. Probably not. (laughs) I would imagine. I mean, that's a really, that's a really extreme (laughs) It's uh, morbid, situation. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's also very morbid. Yeah, I'm yeah. going gonna, gonna to move on. <laughs> yeah, let's let's move on to a happier subject. Uh, the bullet hell shooter Ikaruga is coming to <laughs> oh, PS4. <laughs> the last things you need to be saying next are bullet and hell. Uh, Have you ever seen uh, any gameplay footage of this game? I can't say that I have. Uh, I'll leave you to do that in your own spare time. Um, but it is a bullet hell shooter in every sense of the word. Paint me a word picture, Mark. Uh, basically, there's shitloads of fucking uh, just <laughs> bright orbs on the screen. Um, and the idea with uh, Ikaruga, its gimmick, is that there's like a polarity switching system. Uh, so that means you can get hit by or absorbed by enemy bullets depending on your ship's polarity um i can't remember the exact like think of it as basically 
there are black and white orbs. So if your ship is black, if you get hit by the white orbs, you take damage. If you get hit by the black ones, you absorb it, and vice versa. Uh, which kind of seems like a really simple concept until you see how much shit is on the screen at any given time. Um, so you're fucking switching back and forth uh, on a like frame-by-frame frame basis. Yeah, I'm watching it now, and it makes me think aneurysms are possible <laughs> if you play this game. <laughs> uh, Ikaruga came out on the Dreamcast back in 2002 before uh, arriving on the GameCube in 2003, and then there was an Xbox 360 version in 2008, which I somehow missed because I had to probably pick this up. Uh, it was recently uh, dropped. It recently dropped on the PC in 2014. Uh, so this is the most recent way for console owners to get their hands on it, which is really cool. Uh, Switch release when? Uh, next up, and this is interesting. So Microsoft have uh, stated they are clamping down on offensive language across Xbox Live, Skype, Office, and basically everything else. Office? Yeah. So if you open a Word document and type fuck, it will censor it. Well, I'm thinking, like, if you type an email, um, like, through uh, Office or Outlook, like, will that censor it? Or how will that... Or if I type a, a, an IM on Skype, will that... Or are they listening on our call right now and knowing I'm saying fuck? And are they going to censor this? Maybe. Maybe you already have censored it. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, the Xbox Live one, I mean, sure. I mean, they should have, you know, been stamping on down on that about oh, 10, 11 years ago, maybe. If you want to go back further, if you want to the, X, the original Xbox. Um, so, the, the most, like, there was an update to this story today. Um, and Xbox VIP Mike Yabara. I'm going to go with that. Y-B-A-R-R-A. That seems like how you might say that. Maybe it's a silent Y. Who knows? Uh, he clarified overnight that there will be no policy change to the Xbox Live, so the rules already in place will remain until uh, the 1st of May. So get all your swearing out of the way now. Um, but looking into this. So using offensive language on Xbox Live, uh, Skype, or even in shared Word documents may get you in trouble with Microsoft's newly updated code of conduct. Uh, if you get in trouble, you could face suspensions or bans, have Xbox Live Gold membership time revoked, or even lose money associated with the account. If Microsoft investigates you, it reserves the right to review your content in order to resolve the issue too, which sounds a lot like dig through your personal data to me, uh, which, yeah, it does. Uh, I, I'm, hmm, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Um, like the idea... I'm not sure how I feel about Skype and Office and Outlook being involved. Like, if I want to, like, send my mate an email that says, fucking hell, have you seen this? And, like, put a picture in there. I don't want, like, some nanny state type situation where Microsoft are emailing me going, you mind your language, young man. Yeah, like, the idea of, you know, a player using racially offensive language over Xbox Live and then us reporting, or a person reporting... And that player gets suspended. Yeah, that good. Yeah, makes sense. That's how that should work. You know, that's how it works. For example, for how my job is. Um, but yeah, the idea of saying fuck over a, a Microsoft Word document. Ah no, that hmm, I, I can't imagine that will go down. That's going to fly particularly well, or how that's even implemented without, as noted, kind of seriously breaching some form of personal data. But I don't know how all that works on a legal basis, so, uh, yeah, I guess we'll kind of watch how that one unfolds. Yeah, maybe, I feel like I want to tweet Mike Ibarra now and ask him what's what's going on, 
but yeah, it, it, it seems a little bit... Uh, it's a, it's so funny, but it's kind of like the go-to thing to say now whenever there's like a weird tech story. But there's got a little bit of black mirror to it. This, like yeah. it, it, it it starts off or like there's um there's a Family Guy episode, isn't there, where the FCC starts censoring real life, which is kind of in that sweet spot of Family Guy where it came back after being away for a while, and everyone's like, haha, this show is pretty good. And then like one two seasons later, it just got stale, and everyone's like, ah, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, great, another cutaway gag. As but like, there was that, life. that whole episode of like, you know, FCC starts censoring real life. This is, it seems like Microsoft is taking one step towards making that a bit of a reality. So yeah, there you go, Charlie Brooker. There's some inspiration for your next series, pal. And finally, uh, Konami has announced that its Zone of the Enders sequel remaster, subtitled The Second Runner Mars, will be heading to PC and PlayStation 4 this September. The remaster, which was announced during last year's Tokyo Game Show, will attempt to freshen up the beloved mech action adventure with enhanced graphics and sound, 4K resolution support, and a first-person VR mode. Um, now, I never touched Zone of Enders first time round. Like, my kind of like sticking point with Zone of Enders is always, oh, hey, it's that game that had the demo for Metal Gear Solid 2, which, you know, was the reason yep. it sold. And <laughs> um, but I never touched Zone of the Enders. I don't know if you did or are kind of aware of it in any way, shape or form. I'm aware of it. There's a few Zone of the Enders posters in Metal Gear Solid 2, I think, <laughs> in, in like lockers and stuff. Um, so that's kind of the only way I was ever really going to hear of it. But uh, I can't say that I played it. Is this just Konami just going like, well, we've lost Kojima, what, quick, what other IPs do we have that we can at least make some money out of before we basically just move to full-time pachinko machinery? Uh, yeah, it, it, there is a little bit of, of that. Um, but, I mean, considering, you know, it's not like Konami are the only publisher slash developer in the world at the moment that are, you know, headstrung on remastering everything in their back catalogue so i can't hold that against them too much but also at the same time it is like well what do we do now kojima's gone yeah did you see how much of a piece of shit metal gear survive was uh i i heard that it wasn't terrible it just obviously wasn't a metal gear game which shock of all shocks um maybe i I take that a little bit more personally yeah (laughs) well i mean obviously you know i don't care one way or the other um but i didn't hear it was terrible it was just it exists which obviously and i will you know concede that if a metal gear game um is there it shouldn't merely exist like as much as i fucking loathe 95 percent of metal gear revengeance I wouldn't say that it merely exists because it's fucking there and then some for many wrong reasons and one or two right reasons. Um, you know, I'm fine with that existing within you know the Metal Gear universe. Um, but yeah, I, I heard that Survive was just yeah, it's there. Yeah, uh, it looks like they asset flip themselves is what <laughs> I would say. When when I when I've seen it and like you know it just the combat you're basically poking stuff either from a great height or through fences it's just very very weird uh and it's not really a game other than quite literally right go and get a bunch of food it's like taking the 
the the food element of Metal Gear Solid 3 and then just making that a constant cycle and you just acquire materials and there doesn't really seem to be any sort of long-term point of what you're trying to do and my word it just seems incredibly disappointing and you can already pick it up for around 15 pounds in some Easter sales mark so uh it's really not been a big success that they they thought it could be so yeah i'm not even sure if they thought it would be but quite happy to see it fail Mm. to be honest with you and the fact that they charge you an extra tenner for a second save slot is without question gonna be in our konami corner for ineptitude in the end of year i'm telling you right now mark it's going it's going on my list do you know what Uh, I will remember after this show to actually put the 2018 Google Doc together just so you can put that in right now so it's it's there. <laughs> oh, it's already there. I asked Dave about it in January and because Dave's Dave, he made it up immediately. Oh, I wasn't even aware of that. Or probably I yep. was and forgot about it. Yeah, um, so yeah, that is uh, that is definitely going in there for me because nobody deserves to win the konami corner more than konami uh so let's just hope it's um, a kind of... see now you say that we've had some konami corner winners over the year that have been uh i don't know i'd say more than justified <laughs> you're not wrong but uh i'm just hoping that this that's one of the the grossest most awful exploitations of consumers in video games this year i already know. i mean if nothing else it is the konami winner of the konami corners a corner of an attitude, blah blah blah. blah it blah. is, but Konami also got like eight more months, sir. That's so, true. Uh, that is true. We'll, we'll see what happens right. in, in the rim. Anyway, we will leave it there and uh, we will finally move on to the last bit of this show uh, the book club feature, where we talk about a game from the past, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, culturally influential uh mechanically influential uh, a great game just you know from a personal perspective uh, this week because jack is on the show he has chosen to talk about the playstation 2 classic ssx3 playing it SSX3 is a snowboard racing game developed by EA Canada and published under the EA Sports Big Brand. 
The game was initially released on October the 20th, 2003 for the GameCube, PlayStation 2 and Xbox. It was later ported to the Game Boy Advance, which I wasn't aware of, by Visual Impact on November 11th, 2003, and to the Gizmondo by Exeunt Entertainment, which <laughs> I, I need to have a look at that. It is the third installment in the SSX3 series. Set on a fictional mountain, the single-player mode follows snowboarders competing in the SSX Championship. Players choose from a variety of characters and take part in various events in different locations, earning points and money by performing tricks, winning races, completing goals, and finding collectibles. Money can be used to upgrade character attributes, buy new clothes and boards, and unlock music, music and extras. Multiple players can play against each other in local multiplayer modes, and an online multiplayer mode also allow players to connect to games and play against each other online on the PS2 version of the game, but has since been discontinued. SSX3 was critically acclaimed, with re reviewers praising the game's open-world trick system, presentation, and soundtrack, and it was the first game in the SSX series to sell 1 million copies. It received the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences Awards for Console Action Sports Game of the Year, an outstanding achievement in licensed soundtrack. Uh, and this is, this is a big one in that uh, me and Jack both have a, uh, a real kind of strong personal connection to this game. Um, for various reasons, as we'll get into. Um, but we'll start off with just the SSX series as a whole. Jack, your history with it. Were you there from the get-go? Were you there from the beginning? I was there from, and I think a lot of people around our ages jumping on point would likely have been SSX Tricky. Yes. Because uh, you have the original SSX, which... Funnily enough, Mark, during my research for the show in an attempt to sound professional, did you know that the original SSX was actually being developed for the Dreamcast? I did not. Uh, before it was poached, when the Dreamcast started going south, it was kind of poached over and uh, it was actually a launch title for the PlayStation 2. Ah. So initially it kind of did all right, but it wasn't doing great. But then it started snowballing and getting really good reviews and, and very positive uh feedback from anyone that uh, uh, had fun playing it and it's kind of more of a racing game than anything else uh that the original ssx there's tricks in there but the tricks are only really responsible like you fill your boost meter up and there's a couple of points modes but they don't get too detailed um ssx tricky is basically the exact same engine as, as SSX, it's just they've made the whole thing a lot more colourful, the levels are a lot more detailed, and like it, it's much more about the tricks, and obviously the the usage of uh, of It's Tricky by Run DMC all over the place, and you know, I think a lot of people when they imagine SSX Tricky, Mark, I don't want to speak for you here, but they imagine Eddie uh, Wachowski, he of the big white ginger afro uh doing some sort of worm-like maneuver on his board while run dmc just blares out a, a, a crazy level from your television don't yeah. know about you yeah this is that's kind of yeah that's my impressions of it anyway ssx3 is a complete revamp of the engine it takes all of the things about ssx and the race modes that are good it takes all of the ridiculous tricks it cranks them all up to 11 quite literally because the stats of your characters go up to 11 in this game which is a nice little touch uh and it's just absolutely one of my my favorite games of of all time uh and and i often feel like 
when you have like a close emotional connection to a video game uh kind of before really people widely use the internet to, to talk about these things i didn't know if it was like if it was just me like am i like one of the few kids out there that that's loving ssx but doing research uh for the show again i i just realized how many people rated and heralded ssx3 as the as the best game of the series now i don't know how many of the other games in the series you've played mark but uh it to me it's like head and shoulders tricky ssx3 and then the uh kind of i don't know what you want to call it reboot of the series with ssx3 on the ps3 yeah. uh, sorry ssx it, on the ps3 it's weird because if you go into the um you know like if you go to a game series wikipedia page or like fan wiki or whatever the first game of the series is called ssx and the last game of the series is called ssx just to confuse everyone yeah but i didn't touch on tour and i didn't touch uh blur and I think part of it... <laughs> no one touched Blur. No. It sold 300,000 yeah. copies. And I think part of it, um, and kind of going back to what I said earlier about um, Burnout with Burnout, is that um, in the late 90s, I had my PlayStation. I was very much into my extreme sports type games. I uh, loved Tony Hawk's. I uh, loved um, Aggressive Inline. Um, and I loved uh, SSX. And kind of by the mid-2000s, which is around about the point that I wasn't actually playing a lot of video games anyway, um, I just just stopped playing uh, a lot of games. And um, I suffered severe burnout, as I think we all did with the Tony Hawk series. And that kind of tailed off into just, I can't be bothered with those types of games. Uh, I just, I need something else. Um, but with SSX3, I mean... There's a lot of reasons why I hold a lot of fond memories with this game. Um, one being that, obviously, it's a fantastic game. But two, also, the the kind of connection, the, the rivalry that like me and you um, and our other two uh, close friends, Matthew Biggs, Matthew Niner, uh, which tailed over into, into a whole bunch of other games as well. But just, you know, any time we had time and we could get together and we could do uh, any of the trick events or just do a, a downhill race in Metro City... Um, that was just, you know, that was us for like a good kind of two years or so. Uh, and that's, you know, some of my fondest and angriest memories. Yeah. Um, specifically, if we want to go down the memory lane route, we were actually on the verge of being late for a GCSE maths exam <laughs> because we were playing a race uh, on SSX3 and around my house and didn't quite keep track of the time. So yeah, that, that did get pretty interesting. But I mean, you mentioned it there, Mark, Metro City. I don't think in terms of kind of any race games that I've played in my life, I don't think there's ever been a level that I've held as much affection for or that I think is as well designed as Metro City here. Because you say theme... affection, I say anger. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it will do that to you, especially if you like bail out on that massive uh, railroad grind halfway through or something and that's just heartbreaking. But it's a it's a theme with all the race levels in in this game there's a good two or three different ways that you can go uh that you could just gradually discover and you know when you're racing against the sort of uh computer ai characters you will notice them also go in a few different ways so 
there's there's a lot of experimentation to be done. Metro City is just filled full of jumps over buildings and in between buildings and grind rails that lead to underground passages. There's there's teleport phone booths which will take you like you know a, an extra third along the level if you know where to find them or you time your jump right. And it's just it really is an excellent achievement in 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 linear game design of, of a race to have such a wide berth of, of possible ways that you can go and routes that you can take now not in a sort of burnout paradise way that i mentioned earlier where you're overwhelmed by how many different directions you can go and you're always kind of because it's always a giant slope isn't it from the top to the bottom in, in all the race modes but yeah it, that in particular is awesome the thing that i i think really made me feel immersed in this game mark was the fact that the peaks that this is an open world game in the sense that all of the peaks are linked together so like once you unlock peak three you could start at the very top each peak has like a level called the backcountry which is where if you progress in like the racing part of the game you'll have like a rival face-off to to unlock the next peak in, in a backcountry level which is like a it's like this sort of black ski slope on a mountain, you know, the the most challenging possible route with the most danger. And there were some pretty cool cutscenes of like levels breaking in half and trees falling down and stuff when you when you went through those and faced off against whoever your rival was on those particular peaks. But you can start at the very top of peak three and skate all the way down to the end of of essentially the the peaks, which is Metro City, funnily enough. And the whole thing is just linked together with like rails and bits and ski lodges in between. And every time you go out of a level and into a new bit, you you have uh, DJ Atomica, who actually links this game and, and Burnout Paradise, funnily enough, because he features in both of them. Uh, and he'll talk about different things that are going on around the mountain. He'll talk about different characters. You know, characters in the game will like, request songs and stuff like that and it's cool because there's quite a lot of dialogue which obviously it will repeat after a while but it's like a nice little interlude to make you feel part of the game and, and it's open world but you can also if you want you can just click you know to travel to a level on a ski lift but i think as you said earlier mark about ps2 loading times the the idea of being able to uh, go from the top of peak three all the way down to the very end of peak one without a single loading screen and bear in mind like i think the best time or the gold time there to be is like half an hour so you essentially get half an hour of gameplay on a ps2 game without seeing a loading screen i think that's that's pretty cool right yeah that's and i didn't do that too many times because um well i mean i i would never it's arduous it's just yeah it's a fucking task and a half um and like, if you talk about just kind of Metro City on its own, I was playing that game for a year and I was still finding new ways or new paths. And yeah. you know, you can you multiply that by how many tracks there are in that game. Like the amount of different routes there are to go like fully down from the top of that mountain to the bottom uh, is is fucking staggering for a PS2 game. And as you know, it, the, the fact you can do that with a, without a single loading screen um, is. It's a real technical achievement for the PS2, which it was a powerful machine for its time, but that's still, um, you know, like the tricks that you have to be pulled off to make that work because loading screens were still prevalent at the time. 
Um, and yeah, just amazing um, that that is a thing that you could do, that you could have a game which is in theory open world, but still you can like, if you want to say fast travel to points, but it still isn't that you just go directly into a race. You actually, you start at a point and you kind of come down and then you can choose, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to go over to here to a half pipe event or, oh no, I'm going to go over here and actually do a race. Like those little extra touches, like really give the game a lot of the life and the character that makes it what it is. Yeah. Um, and you touched on it as well. Like you can, the race part of it is really, really great, but the points challenges, like there are three different points challenges you can do. There's like, there's a, a slope style where you'll just get like one or two like really, really big jumps and you've got to accumulate, you know, the amount of points that you need to run it. And then there's like a, a, a sort of more like elongated course where you have to link all of your tricks together where you're doing like the snowboard equivalent of a manual in tony hawk and i mean it is it it doesn't really sort of register when you're playing it but it is quite obvious like how much of the ssx series was was inspired by what activision were doing with tony hawk at the time because tony hawk's pro skater 4 was out a year before uh, and that was the first Tony Hawk game where you could pretty much just skate around an entire level and then pick up the mission as you went along. So I feel like that the design of that probably influenced this game. But yeah, and then you have what I consider to be my most favorite of all of the point scoring modes, Mark. And that's the, uh, the, the super pipe levels where you just basically relentlessly go up and down and pull off the, the insanity that is an uber trick uh there's like just de like death defying levels of, of taking a snowboard out of the bindings on your feet and like spinning it around your neck and like playing air guitar with it and you know doing the worm like if if you've unlocked eddie and stuff so there's the, it's just the the tricks there's so many uber tricks and there's so many sort of like flips and spins and different directions that you can go that even though you probably end up going to a lot of the same tricks, like, you know, you have your monster tricks as well, which like a, give you an extra boost and they're all named after all of the bands that are on the soundtrack in the game, which is a cool little touch. It never, I never got bored of the points mode. I got frustrated. I, got, <laughs> I, I remember seeing our friend, uh, Mr. Biggs aforementioned, uh, lose a combo right at the end of a level that would have got him a platinum medal and, and picking up an ab roller. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I remember and, that. And, and Google an ab <laughs> if you've never seen one. It's like a weird bar system that you grip onto to do like pull-ups. And, and he threw it at his, his wall and made a dent in his wall. So enraged was he by uh, dropping out his combo on, on SSX3. But I always had a blast doing the points level. Don't know about you. I I remember significantly the, the slope style levels being the bane of my fucking existence for the longest time because um yeah there was like the purity of super pipe which was just you know fucking nail as many uber tricks as possible and like chaining together uber tricks is really satisfying and it is that kind of like you're not really thinking about what you're doing like when you have played enough of ssx there, there's no thought process into how you chain uber tricks together it just it happens by by magic but slope style takes like the most extreme bits of um doing tricks but also having to go down a course as well and so you know you're having to find the best lines you're having to find the best 
parts of the course to do the best tricks, but also find those multipliers because it's the yeah. multipliers that, you know, big points mean big prizes and it's the multiplayers that you have to nail at the right time you have to be able to fucking reach them because obviously the big multiplayers are in the most bastard parts of the the, the area to get to so you yeah. have to get your line correct you have to have your uber at the right time and then you have to obviously chain the uber together um and then continue that chain going so you're basically trying to do a race but have a combo going the whole way down it um we talk about kind of gaming achievements on this show and like beating cuphead is a gaming achievement for me um and doing slope some of those slope style courses uh and get you know getting gold uh they are also <laughs> gaming achievements yeah peak peak three slope style in, in particular mark it was the uh the times tens which oh, were like times tens which were like jet black yeah uh jet black and shiny and i remember like the first couple of times like just seeing them and because everything in the game happens pretty fast if you don't really have much of a of a grasp of what's going on and just like agonizingly missing a times 10 or something trying to get a jump towards it and then just being incredibly frustrated as you sort of watch it go away in the distance like you didn't nail it uh, i remember yeah there's a there was a few moments like when you were learning but i thought the difficulty of the game is genuinely pretty well built um i want to talk about a couple more things uh i think the set of characters in this game was like for 2003 like among the most diverse and fun in any of the sort of extreme sports games that you had at the time because obviously like you know you're picking from real life characters and in tony hawks and you know there's there's a few other games where you know they were quite generic but like here like there's there's just every like different like race and and creed and and type of personality represented like you had an energetic little annoying kid called griff and you know you had like kaori she was a, a japanese border and she was like a like a teen and she never even spoke a single word of english so like whenever you were going around with her everything was in the native language you had moby he was like a black british dude with dreadlocks and the guy that voiced him was doing like a, a really hacky british accent which you know always brings a smile to my face there was like a sort of like suicidal crazy canadian guy called simon who had like a weird like spiky afro and there's like a really obnoxious swedish guy called vigo like just wore track tops and basically tried to enrage everyone around him and like elise and allegra who were like there's like a punk chick and like a like just straight up like kick you in the face kind of kick-ass guy and it it's just uh, it was like really fun to interact with these characters and I know a lot of people got annoyed by it, but you know, when you were going down the courses and you were hearing them yell out and stuff, you, you got a real sense of like actual genuine personalities. Like you weren't just selecting an avatar, like you were picking somebody to sort of, you, you grow an attachment to, you know, Moby was my guy in SSX. Like I, I have real affection for that guy. Like did, did you have a specific character you used to lean towards? Uh, I didn't really actually. Um, that was the one thing with me. Um, not that I was like didn't care about any of the characters, but I, I yeah, I didn't kind of naturally gravitate towards one. Um, it was the mountain was my character in that game. 
<laughs> that kind of that that's that's almost faux philosophical brilliance out of you there. Yeah. That the mountain did have a lot of personality. Um I think like the time has come, Mark, for me to get on to just how awesome the use of sound design and music was in this game. Yeah, there are a few games that just from a kind of dynamic perspective, um have ever been as effectively used uh, as well as SSX3 uses sound and music. Yeah, it's actually mixed by THX as well, Mark, who uh, who did a lot of those Star Wars films that all the kids are talking about. So, yeah. Uh, th- so, for a start, like, the mix and, and just the, the foley and the sound effects on everything were, were just pitch perfect. But it was really cool for, you know, a lot of... Again, I, I keep going back to Tony Hawk's as an example here, but, you know, switch your level on, music blares out, you get on with it. You know, you jump in a car in GTA, music blares out, you get on with it. The music here was interactive based on your environment. So if you went through a tunnel, your, you know, parts of the music would drop out. It would, it would be bassy. It would just be like a rhythm it it wouldn't necessarily be the vocals kind of like if the the radio was like being blocked out partly or like you were in the back country it you know different parts of the level would react in different ways and musically and, and you just yeah it was it was awesome it was like you know the vocals would drop out here or the guitar would drop out here if you went really high up then the the, the music would react to that and it would it would get to the point where there was like no low end whatsoever and you were just getting the treble and it was just so well done and it, it just felt completely natural that no matter what part you of the level you were in that the music would adapt to your environment and i can't think of many games that really do that and execute it as well as ssx3 did no because even like as great as um the tony hawk soundtracks were over the years they were literally just soundtrack is in the game you go and skate to the soundtrack you know uh, and that was the case for uh, a lot of those um, extreme sports style games, um, and and even stuff like Crazy Taxi, which you know only had the two songs. But again, it was just like very memorable. But it's just it's in there, and you you go along to it, and that's it. Um, the way that it's, it's kind of like how SSX three like the music. It's kind of like you compare it to how Guitar Hero or Rock Band. You know, you can kind of like just single out bits of the track um, for for the use of kind of hearing that more clearly. But here, it's obviously got the the intended effect that you know you fucking fly up in the air, uh, and you know the best song in the game to snowboard to is the bitter end by Placebo. um, Absolutely, without question. And you're just kind of flying up in the air, and you can hear just like just like the faint guitar in the background and you land back down and just everything comes back in after you smash, like you get an Uber up. So just all the track comes back together as you land it perfectly and you're kind of hurtling down the mountain. Uh, certainly like during a race when you're like maybe kind of second or third and you've got some of the other boarders around you as well. It, uh, it's just, yeah, there, there, are, there are, I can't think of a game that incorporates music in that way and as effectively as SSX, SSX3 uh, managed it. It got me so, yeah. so excited there, I got tongue-tied. 
<laughs> yeah, having a bit of trouble with the old SSX there. But um, like Fatboy Slim is in this game, Placebo, you know, like a, a few of those early 2000s, like punk, rocky pop bands like Yellow Card and Autopilot Off and like a, a really cool remix of, um, of Rockstar. Um, and, you know, there's a really cool remix of No One Knows by Queens of the Stone Age. Uh, Hypersonic, uh, James Addiction. Yeah, Hypersonic, which is, a, again, and I, it felt like there's like a an excellent mix of like rock, rap and dance here that are all chosen and all complement the game brilliantly. And there are things that are better for like certain levels. Like I feel I always enjoy, as you say, like the, the bitter end or, or like a quicker song, like a way away by yellow card would always work better in a race. But then like if I had a, a pipe, or a, a points like base challenge to do I, I would always prefer something with a little bit more of a slow beat like um like a silver screen or or a you know fat boy slim um don't let the man get you down which is just a great song or like leave home by chemical brothers and yeah they just it, it it kind of felt like they were the songs were chosen rather than this band has this song out now so put it on the soundtrack to this game it felt like it was crafted lovingly by like a bunch of guys who thought like what music is going to go best here like there's no uh, there's probably maybe one or two songs in there that like a record label is like all right we need to get on this game because you know ssx tricky was this big thing but even probably in the case of those like they're all selected really really well and so if we think about the the legacy of ssx3 so obviously you know afterwards um the, the series never reached the the zenith of what ssx3 managed um, i think the ssx like the the reboot was a return to form um though that fucking wingsuit i swear to god like yeah the first I time <laughs> i saw your ghost fly over a mountain that you obviously weren't meant to be on with that wingsuit. I was like, well, this game's broken, but I have to go and beat that fucking time now. Um, <laughs> that, it, it, that did break that game, unfortunately. Uh, SSX was really good, and yes, like the initial, re- the, the initial reviews that were piling in were great, but like within a few weeks, like all of the uh, all of the race modes were broken by the wingsuit. Like there was no way to to better somebody just going down a a hill when you could basically just fly (laughs) which in fairness was a lot of fun yeah it's a lot of fun but when you're getting to the point where you're like timing a jump just so you can open a wingsuit and like miss the peak of a mountain so you can then fly down the side of it like for basically 20 seconds all the way to the bottom because i remember as well I, I remember because we had the the demo of that one track and i spent like two weeks on that track like and i thought oh, i can't do a better time on this and then like within days of having the proper game your your, your ghost just flew over and i was like oh well, there goes two weeks of work out the fucking window yeah i mean that was like i remember what th- that was what got me insanely excited for that reboot was having that demo level of that ssx and me and you just trading back and forth taking like like inches of, yep. of time off each other's scores and and i just thought like if this is what this game is going to be you know with like there's going to be like five six different locations and a bunch of points and a bunch of uh, race challenges and it's going to be so much fun but it wasn't just the races mark like i i the points modes on on ssx probably weren't as, as good as the races were yeah. on the reboot that is but 
they were also broken because you know there was a snowboard um that you could unlock that would basically give you enough boost where if you got to the end of a level because the points that was a, the smart thing i always thought about the uh, points challenges in in the ssx3 was that you did have like a time limit whereas on that like there were some challenges where you could literally just keep going at the end so if you could boost back up the slope you could boost back up the slope hit a big trick go to the bottom keep your combo boost back up the slope hit a big trick and that just completely ruined it for me i don't know and and that was the thing like everybody was competing and the idea was like it was you versus like everyone in the world to see your to see your scores which is an idea that i i kind of first really appreciated in trials yes Do you remember Absolutely. trials yep. where, oh, yeah, yeah it was like <laughs> you could see where you were against everyone else in the world and against your mates and that was one of the first games that i really enjoyed that interactivity again me and you trading some times back and forth on trials uh and i thought like to have that in ssx is amazing but then it was just yeah points broken by like massive boost board races were broken by wingsuit and and they lost people because there there was like a weird in-game currency as well which you could win for doing these challenges but you never had much of a chance of winning the other versions because of those aforementioned things and it's a shame because that game had such potential like it, it really did and I feel like within the first few weeks, they needed to just sort of do something to sort of curb the wingsuit and down the, the, the mountains, but they didn't. And... Well, I think they basically needed to either just remove it or only have it be a thing that you could use for, like, you know, the actual kind of the, the danger zone part of that game where you'd need to use it. Um, I think they probably actually got to that point with it, but by that point, they, they probably lost too many people. Yeah. And I, and I look at the say the first three games now, and specifically three as as we've talked about in detail here. Do we think? I mean, SSX Tricky and SSX Three both sold like close to three million copies worldwide. Do we think that they are potentially worth a remaster of those first few? Games? I mean, I was going to bring this up. I would imagine. Um... I'm not so much sure if they would do it with the original, but I mean we've seen a lot of um, a lot of kind of trilogy type remasterings that have been done. You think of like the Crash series, um, so so they could if they wanted to, they could do a, a, a SSX SSX Tricky SSX Three uh, trilogy pack. I'm not sure that's necessary. Maybe at a stretch you would do SSX Tricky and SSX Three as a as a double, um, but I definitely do think that a SSX3 remaster uh, with the obvious inclusion of an online leader board system. Um, you don't really need to add anything more than that. You just put it out with a nice sheen in... Uh, yeah. uh, in uh, have six... you seen, say... So some of the um, some of the modding community, those, those pesky modders, Mark, have basically got uh ssx3 running in like 1440p i'm sure uh, they and have a, and have and have posted a bunch of of ever like videos of let me guess in 16 by 9 and fucking everything else oh dude and it looks it just looks insanely beautiful yeah like and if they even just put in the most kind of bog standard of like resheening and shining ssx3 up and even to a certain extent ssx tricky just making those textures look a little bit kind of softer less angular um like they were in ssx and ssx tricky i i do genuinely think that 
it would be something that people would have an awful lot of affection for if they kind of left it alone like they have done with uh, with Paradise and haven't, you know, added any, like, chicanery in there and, and nonsense with, like, DLC. So, yeah, I... Uh, yeah, I, I if, that, it, if I, that came out tomorrow, like, you know, I will yeah, bring I, my PlayStation into the office, steal the internet, download it, and I'd be good to go. Yeah, you wouldn't need to leave your house again. No. Uh, yeah, <laughs> SS, SSX3... Uh, it will never fail to bring a smile to my face. You know how, like, you see people in, like, old folks' homes, like, vibing to music that they listened to, like, when they were younger and, and, and stuff? I could see myself, like, 70, 80, if I still have decent use of my hands, just fucking sat in a room, like, in an old folks' home w- with my TV and my PlayStation 2, just playing SSX3, and I would be happy. I like, would be eternally happy. I can still in my head hear that bass line. And yeah, that's never going to leave my head. But Jack, I want you to give me the elevator pitch for SSX3. Tell the fine people out there if they've never played it before, foolishly have never played it before, uh, why should they play this game? If you want to play a game that allows you to basically start at the top of an incredibly difficult to negotiate mountain and go all the way down collecting collecting collectibles and doing challenges and scoring points and races all on a snowboard while listening to an incredibly nostalgic uh, early 2000s soundtrack and just having the best time with a crazy, over-the-top, wacky character taking their feet out of the boarding, unbinding of the snowboard and spinning it around their head, around their neck, and just doing all that while flying down there at like 100 miles an hour, leaving trails of yellow, orange, and dark red boost behind you, then, my friend, SSX3 is your game. So this is the point of the show where we would announce what game we will talk about next week, but not sure what the plan is for next week so far, so you'll just have to wait and see. Um, I'll be back next week to talk about Aggressive Inline. (laughs) Possibly, possibly. (laughs) The most esoteric game that I could possibly choose to ever want to review. (laughs) Like, four or five people in the universe have probably played it. But you know what? We're two of them, so who the fuck cares? Um, This podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and most podcast platforms. Just search search, Link to the Cast. Uh, Please give us a subscription, a subscribe, a rating, a review. It all helps. Uh, the website is linktothecast.eu. Do you want to get in touch? Please do drop us an email at linktothecast at gmail.com uh, or on social media, facebook.com forward slash linktothecast. Linktothecast on Twitter. Uh, I am Mark. You can find me at Lithium Project, not at Jack Lazell, as he has put in the Google Docs trying to throw me off, the son of a bitch. <laughs> That's been there for some time. That's it. Oh, so I never read this bit. So there you go. Uh, he this week is Jack Lazell. You can find him on the tweet machine. Jack Lazell, he will be talking about either a cheese sandwich or uh, posting pictures of him being at Stamford Bridge before they inevitably lose. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. You can also find me on the 
two other podcasts of this here podcast network, which are the Grap Up, which is a I'd say once every couple of months, look at the crazy world of professional wrestling, where we usually talk about big events, whether they be in the WWE or sort of wider wrestling world. Talk some New Japan, talk some local promotions to the UK, such as OTT, such as Progress, such as RevPro, etc., etc. And once a month, me and Dave, we do our video game spin-off podcast here which we talk about films uh which is called the popcorn social uh and we do some pretty fun stuff on that we have a book club feature similar to this but we also have a game in which we try and guess the rotten tomatoes critic scores of the uh, movies that are being released that month uh tune into the next one because i think there's going to be some pretty interesting uh, uh things and some surprisingly accurate guesses by me and Dave so I'm just going to leave that there and uh, you can check that out the next time around and yeah and finally just as always I'd like to plug Marcus Alonso's glorious quaffed hair and we will see you again next week <laughs>